This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Parsha Vayeshev takes us into the amazing story of Yosef and his brothers. And of course, we this is a story we love. Uh, it really is one of the most uh, fabulous, beautifully written, uh, exciting stories that we find um, in Sefer Breshit and maybe in the in the Torah Bichlal. I'd like to um, spend today talking about Yosef himself. And uh, if last week we spoke about the transformation of Yaakov and the development of his personality, this week we're going to talk about the development of Yosef. In general, um, I believe that many of the stories of Breshit don't just give us a static image of the biblical personalities, but describe a dynamic, changing perspective of those personalities. I frequently find that students of mine turn to me and say, they raise questions about the Avot. They'll say, um, Yaakov doesn't seem like a particularly desirable character if he tricks his father. And I say, well, you don't really understand uh, Yaakov. The story of the Torah is not to present a pristine and perfect image of a personality, but to actually show us how each person grapples with their faults, grapples with their inbuilt personality, and learns how to overcome that personality. So part of Yaakov's uh, drama is how he transforms himself and how he develops aspects of his uh, personality to become a more perfect individual. I think that is true about many personalities in Sefer Breshit. Um, some don't do so well. I think Noach, as you described in Ashirim, um, starts as an Ish Sadiq and ends up as an Ish Adama. But you have, for example, Avraham, who starts off from his first Lech Lecha, Me'aretzcha Umi Moladetcha, he's coming from somewhere, and ends up with Lech Lecha El Eretz Amoriah, um, on his way to the Akedah. When we talk about Avraham's ten tests, it is clear that he's going up ten rungs of the ladder, he is growing, he is developing. At some point in the middle, his name changes, indicating a transformation of personality, a certain growth. Um, a development. This could not be more true when we're talking about the personality of Yosef. Yosef is an amazing uh, story, and we already know from the outset that Yosef has tremendous uh, powers. He already is identified by his father as being the leader of the pack. He is given the Ketonic Pasim. He is sent to supervise his brothers, according to many of the uh, Mepharshim, when it says, um, uh, we're talking about him being in charge of the family. He's in charge of his father's accounts. And obviously, later on, in the story of uh, his management of the economy of Egypt, um, he succeeds phenomenally. Everyone Yosef comes into contact with seems to take a immediate liking to him. And it's clear that we're dealing with a young man with enormous charisma, um, with incredible administrative powers. Um, this is quite a phenomenal person. And yet, of course, we know how Yosef gets into trouble uh, time and time again, and that his biography is, is certainly not simple. I would like to try and spend today's shiur 
talking a little bit about the way his biography develops in Parashat Vayesha. And we're going to raise a few few questions already at the outset, and then we're going to try and uh, understand how to uh, draw a personality study of of Yosef, at least to certain key features of what he does in the parsha. I would actually like to start with a series of questions which relate to the interesting episode of the seduction by Potiphar's wife. And I have to say that this is a an episode which I always uh, suspect doesn't even need to be in the story. After all, if this is a story about Yosef and his brothers, if this is a story about how Yosef gets to Egypt, we understand that the first the first chapter needs to be there. We need to hear how Yosef is sold by his brothers down, and that's how he finds his way to Egypt. We also need Yosef to meet with the butler and baker, who are going to um, introduce him to Pharaoh. But did we need all that drama in Potiphar's wife uh, in Potiphar's house? All the drama with Potiphar's wife couldn't have that been taken out of the story. Couldn't he have found a different way to jail? I don't know, stolen something from Potiphar um, and found himself in jail or, or run away or something like that. Why do we need this particular story um, of the drama with seduction with her shikhva imi? What does it add to our understanding of Yosef? James Kugel uh, wrote a book called In Potiphar's House and he points out there that in um, post-biblical sources, in various midrashim and even in um, books like the Quran, when they tell the story of Yosef, the most prominent story that is retold time after time after time is the story of uh, Potiphar's wife. And in, indeed, the Gemara in Masechet Yuma uh, tells us that this is exactly where Yosef gets his status, his extra name of Yosef Hatzadik. The notion of a lonely, young, unattached individual, uh, a 17-year-old boy, uh, finding himself in an alien culture as an underdog who has a, a mature woman trying to seduce him but yet resists her advances is a sign of huge internal resilience and strength a huge control over the Yetzahara Yosef might have even thought that this was a wonderful way to rise up the rungs of high society and yet he makes it very clear when she turns around to him and says, Shikhvai me, um, she, she uses very terse and concise language. Um, she finds him in the house on a, on, on a given day and says, Shikhvai me, and he refuses her at great length. He explains phenomenally. He refuses, that's one word, but then it says, he gives all sorts of reasons. My master, uh, your husband, has has deposited everything in my hand. It would be a betrayal. And then he says, uh, How could I ever do this? This wouldn't be only a sin to my master. It would be a sin to my God. Here we see an amazing sense of emunah in Yosef's, uh, in Yosef's hands. A tremendous sense of moral... Um, moral values, uh, and for that reason, we, we, we can say a great deal about Yosef, but how does this blend into the story? Um, okay, so we know Yosef is a moral person, this is 
But does this connect with the story of Yosef and his management of Egypt? Does this contribute to our understanding of the relationship between Yosef and his brothers? What is this story doing here? Let me add something to, to our question here. Because uh, when one reads this story, one notes that very specific words are used. And here let me mention a couple of, a couple of words which I think are, are key in this story. One word is the word yad, hand, the word, the word hand. And this is a word which comes throughout uh, Paraklamatet. It actually appears in other places as well, I'll mention in a minute. But the word yad, the word for hand, comes up like a, sewn into the entire parsha. Let me explain. The parsha begins Paraklamatet, as Joseph is sold to Egypt, and it says, Yosef is bought from the hands of the Ishmaelim. It could have just said, But it says, Later on, um, as Yosef's rise in the house of Potiphar is described, it says, Everything he does, God makes successful in his hand. Uh, later on, everything that uh, Potiphar has, he puts in his hand. And uh, this continues further on. It says actually, pay attention to that word, he abandons everything. I focus on this word hand and the verb because this is a central word in the story of, um, of of the seduction of Yosef by Eshet Potiphar, where we see, she grabs hold of Yosef's garment, and what is Yosef's response? He leaves his garment in her hand. And this word of Yad and Vayazov is exceptionally central. You might think that this word only appears in these places. However, it continues at the end of the chapter when Yosef is put into the prison together with the button and the baker. What does it say there? We're told. Um, the administrator of the, of the prison leaves everything in Yosef's hand. Um, and the administrator of the of the prison doesn't see anything in his hand. So we have this notion of the hand woven through the whole parsha. What is this word? And, and here's a second word which which features in the entire parsha, and that is the word bayit. It starts off with the notion of Beit Potiphar, the uh, the the whole idea of Beit Potiphar. So that's his rise to power in Potiphar's house. The same word by it is used in the seduction scene where it says, It was on that day, he came into the house to do his work. There are no men of the household at home. The word by it as being the scene of the crime, the scene of the seduction. And of course, the significant thing here, uh, where he leaves the bayit and goes hachutza, but he finds himself in another bayit. Of course, this bayit is called the Beit HaSohar. And the Beit HaSohar is mentioned 
uh, about five times after this. Oh, sorry. If I look carefully, I think it's uh, six or seven times. Right now, Beit HaSohar, Lishamba Beit HaSohar, Sar Beit HaSohar, once, twice, three times, four times. Buy it, buy it, buy it. The words, the same words are woven into the story. The story of Eshet Potiphar is a central story, and I want to try and understand a little better beyond it telling us about Yosef's superior moral standard, his ethics, his uh, his tremendous sniut, Yosef Hatzadik resisting all temptation. Um, but is this story about Yosef's temptation? Is that what this story is about? How does this story feature as... A, in, in the grand sweep of the drama of Yosef. I'd like to raise one further point here about uh, about this story, uh, the story of Eshet Potiphar and her seduction. If you look at the wide contours of the Yosef story, the ups and downs of this drama, you'll notice a certain pattern begin to develop. In Paraklamad Zion, chapter 37, Yosef sort of um, rises to prominence in his own family surroundings. He is given the Ketonet Pasim. He, is going, he has to go and check on his brothers. He clearly has a superior role in, in, in the house. Um, however, this is exactly what arouses the ire of his brothers. Um, that's why they tear his coat from him. His aspirations of his Chalomot also arouse their, their anger. And, of course, he finds himself with his special clothing stripped from him. He finds himself in, in a pit, in a cistern, in a pit. However, this uh, particular storyline, this narrative, repeats itself in the story of Eshet Potiphar. Because in Potiphar's house, he rises to enormous prominence, where we're told that everything is left in Yosef's hands, and, the, and, and Potiphar doesn't know what's going on. Of course, this arouses other people's suspicions or other people's attention, uh, in particular Potiphar's wife, and uh, no sooner have we seen Yosef's rise to power, he finds himself again with his clothing ripped from him. And if it wasn't only his clothing ripped from him, we know that Yosef finds himself in jail, but this jail he calls a bar, he calls it a pit. He says in Perak uh, Mem Pasuk Tet Vav, Chapter 40, verse 15. They've put me in this pit. Yosef constantly finds himself rising up. Then his clothing is taken away from him. He falls down fast into a pit. Not once, but twice. What is the nature of these ups and downs? What is the nature of these uh, particular fluctuations? in Yosef's life. So I guess we've raised a few questions. We've asked the question um, about the centrality of the story of Eshet Potiphar. We've noticed that it is linguistically integrated into the story, but this is a wonderful moral story. Does it tell us anything in the grand sweep of Yosef's biography, uh, the ups and downs of his life? And I'd like to try and develop the idea that it it certainly does. So we're going to have to say a few things about the Yosef story uh, to try and understand what it means. And we're going to start in the beginning of the Parsha, um, Paraklamad Zion. 
Of course, we all know this uh, this chapter, chapter 37. It's the chapter of the dreams. And uh, the dreams are dramatic um, because they, they belie what's going on in Yosef's mind. It is true that some people, the Ramban maybe, uh, describe the dreams as prophetic, as granted by God. But I think the text itself, the, the text about Yaakov says that Yaakov thinks it's actually his ideas. After all, Yaakov hears the second dream and he says, um, like, like the Gemara says, dreams are a reflection of the thoughts a person has during the day. Or maybe psychologists say that too. That's exactly what Yaakov thinks. He says, what is this dream you have dreamt? In other words, you have control over your dreams. He says, You think we're all going to come and bow down to you? What are you, what are you thinking? Not what are you dreaming, but what are you thinking? Yosef's dreams are a reflection of, of his thoughts. And what are those thoughts? If you take a look at the dreams, you see a certain progression in the dreams. In the first it says, We're all binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf stands up. And then all the other sheaves come around. Your sheaves bow down to mine. The second dream is grander still. It takes place on a cosmic backdrop of the sun, the moon and the stars, which all come along. They bow down to me. The sun, the moon and the stars bow down to, to Yosef. Notice the progression. The first dream is agricultural, earthly. And all of the sheaves bow down, not to Joseph, but to Joseph's sheaf. The second dream is far more grander. The whole of the hosts of the universe, the sun, the moon and the stars, way beyond planet Earth, way beyond a field somewhere in Canaan. The sun, the moon and the stars are all bowing down to, not Yosef's star, but Yosef himself. It's almost as if Yosef is, his plans are growing by the second. And one can, cannot help feel that there is something uh, egotistical about these dreams. Now it is true that there are many who read these dreams as an expression of Yosef's philosophy of life, uh, as a sense of Yosef's progressive thinking. Uh, you can open the commentary of Rav Shunshun Hirsch or the writings of, um, of, of Rav Soloveitchik and even of Rav Cook. And you will see them treat Yosef as somebody who is a step ahead. Uh, Rav Hirsch talks about why should he be dreaming about sheaves? Of course, the family are shepherds. A shepherd, so he should be dreaming about, about sheep. That's what Yaakov dreamt about. But uh, no, Yosef dreams of sheaves because he knows what lies in store. He knows that uh, one day they will have their own country. One day they will have Eretz Israel, and then they will have to govern an entire economy. Yosef is already thinking about how to lead the nation in Eretz Israel, And that is precisely why his brothers get so angry with him. Yosef, you're presuming to lead our, our, our future nation? Yosef, what are you thinking? Likewise, Rav Soloveitchik in his beautiful essays in Chamesh Drashot um, talks about Yosef, the brothers happy with their uh, rural Canaanite life and Yosef thinking about other vistas other modes of life, he realizes that this 
small family will not prosper in Canaan forever, and then they're going to have to seek different pastures, different occupations, different modes of thinking, whether it's represented by sheaves or represented by stars and the sun and the moon, the sciences, whatever it might be, Yosef has different ideas. However, the problem with Yosef is, even if he has amazing ideas, even if Yosef has phenomenal leadership skills, tremendous organizational qualities, an unusual personal charisma, he does not know how to carry this off in a smooth way. He seems irritating, he seems obstinate, he seems egotistical. He's not aware of the of the anger that he is raising about him. First, His brothers hate him because they see the favoritism of his father. You'd think he would be sensitive to that. But then he tells them about his dreams. And they hate him even more. And you'd think maybe he would be quiet. But then he says, No, you've got to listen to this dream. And he spells out the entire dream. And after he spelled out the entire dream, the brothers argue with him and say, What, you seek to rule over the us? And they hate him even more. Three levels of hatred. You'd think that Yosef would learn how to temper his language. There are other irritating or annoying aspects of Yosef as a young, a young boy, a 17-year-old. Of course, there is the notion that Yosef is, tells tales. He comes back to Yaakov with stories about his brothers. Of course, the Mepharshim discuss what exactly he said. Rashi is the most extreme. Rashi says, Whatever bad thing he could find about the Leah children, the children of Leah, of course he is the child of Rachel, anything bad that he could see amongst the children of Leah, he would come and tell his father. He's got something against that group, the sons of Leah. The Rashbam says something different. The Rashbam says that he was uh, actually acting in a responsible manner, that he said that uh, the sons of the Shvachot, because it says that he was particularly with B'nai Zilpah, B'nai Bilhah, B'nai Zilpah, that he pointed out to his father that the sons of the Shvachot, the sons of the maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah, were being somewhat uh, discriminated against. Um, maybe we can take the Radak. The Radak says that what was the tales that he told, what was the Dibatam Ra'ah, the Lashon Hara? He said, Ki that all his brothers hated him. And maybe when we hear about somebody telling tales to their father, rather than solving the problems internally amongst the brothers, we also feel that we might, along with the rest of the brothers, hate Yosef. Who is this person? There is a, a second issue which comes up in the Mepharshim when they talk about his Na'arut, the word Na'ar. Yosef is described as being 17 years old. Yosef ben And he was a lad, he was a youth. And all the Mepharshim point out, well, if he's 17, of course he is a Na'ar. What does Na'ar mean? Rashi tells us what Na'ar means. Rashi says, Na'ar means that he was a... High, highly aware of his own appearance, his image. He used to be very concerned with 
uh, make himself all fancy and beautiful. Here's Rashi's comment. He was a pretty boy. He used to do all sorts of things to puff up his image. He would adjust his hair. He would, I'm not quite sure what he would do to his eyes, but he wanted to look beautiful. I actually like the Sforno's comment about Na'ar. The Sforno says, It was his youthfulness. It was his naivete which led him to talk badly about his brothers. He was inexperienced. The image we have in the Imperaklam and Zion is of a person with tremendous personal skills with a huge potential. I'd say more than that. As I said before, his dreams belie a sense of insight into the future, a sense of planning beyond the immediate, something which which a nation needs, something which Am Yisrael needs. Yosef is is a thinker. He is forward-thinking. He is planning ahead. He is incredible in that regard. But he comes foul because he is so irritating. There's something about him where he he knows he's good. And he knows he's so good that he wants to tell everyone about it. He wants to tell everyone about his dreams. He wants to parade around in his katonet pasim. He didn't need to wear it everywhere after all. And there is something about Yosef which is a highly irritating. The, tell-tale, the, the telling the tales, the expressions of leadership. And this creates huge friction in the family. And this opening image of, of, of Yosef is certainly uh, one which, which grates upon us, which we find uh, we don't warm to. This Yosef seems to show off. He seems full of himself. I would argue that there's this sense of ego and this sense of the fact that Yosef is good, but he knows he's good, and which, which is going to be tested in the story about, uh, that we see later on. Uh, let's go back to chapter 39, which we looked at before, and I think we will see exactly how the story of Potiphar's wife um, helps us to understand what's going on with Yosef, and uh, we'll track his, his development. Okay, we're going to open at chapter Lamet, Perak Lamatet, chapter 39. I mentioned before certain key words, the word Yad and the word Bayit, but I missed out a couple of other key words. If I'm going to read, I'm going to read a few psukim here, a few verses, and you'll notice which which words recur. Vayhi Hashem et Yosef, vayhi ish matzliach, vayhi bevet Adonav hamitzri, vayar Adonav ki Hashem ito, v'chol Hashem oseh Hashem matzliach beyado. Even from these psukim, which describe Yosef's success, you see the words which are repeated time after time are the name of God, Hashem. And Matzliach. God is making him Matzliach. That is true in verse 2. In verse 3. I'll read a little bit further. Yosef found favor in his eyes. And served him. He appointed him over his house. From the moment he was appointed over his house. God bless the house of the Egyptian. And the blessing of God was over what he had in the house and in the field. All the time, it is stressed that Yosef's success 
is a product of God. And this is, this is a phenomenal feature of Yosef's rise to power. And here I would like to relate to a particular phrase uh, which seems out of place. Let me explain. The rise, Yosef's rise to power in, or rise to fame and fortune in Potiphar's house stretches from uh, Pasuk Bet through to Pasuk Vav. And then we have an interlocking phrase, a connecting piece, which says, And it was after all these things that um, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, looked and started gazing at Yosef and said, Sleep with me. And that's when Yosef refuses, etc. However, there is a phrase which is out of place, and that is the phrase, Yosef was beautiful. He had exceptional beauty. Where does this story begin? Does this story begin? Uh, sorry, where does this line belong? The line, Does it belong in the story of Yosef's success in Potiphar's house? Or does it belong in the story of the seduction of Eshet Potiphar? I think it's obvious that it belongs in the seduction story, and yet it isn't there. Vayhi Yosef Yefeitar Vifeimareh is before Vayhi Achar Hadbrimaela. What's it doing there? Rashi's sensitive eye says that the reason why it says that Yosef is beautiful and then mentions the story of Eshet Potiphar with an interjection of Vayhi Achar Hadbrimaela is this. All the time that Yosef realized that God was making him successful, Yosef was indeed successful. But when he reached the pinnacle of his career in Potiphar's house, what did he start doing? He started going and getting his hair done again. He started getting his eyes done again. And suddenly Yosef um, is becoming vain. He's becoming full of himself. What does God say? I will set Potiphar's wife on you. I will trip you up. I will throw you back into that pit. I will have your clothing taken from you, your beautiful clothing, your externalities, your beauty taken from you, and you'll have to start again. The sense is, and I said before, the word yad, the word vayazov, the word bayit, is used both in the story of Yosef's success in, in Beit Potiphar, it is used again in the story of Potiphar's wife's accusation of Yosef, and again in the prison. What is this saying? This is saying that Vayazov can be Vayazov can be Vayazov Kolashelo Biyad Yosef. It can be that Potiphar abandons everything in Yosef's hand, or it can be Vayazov Bigdo Biyada. The same word Biyado can be a sign of success or a sign of failure. The same word Babai can be a sign of success or a sign of of of, of, of accusation. The same by Azov can be a framing of a crime, as in the case of his clothing, or can be a symbol of success. And what does it depend on? It depends on when God is backing you. Yosef has tremendous powers, but if he thinks they are his powers, if he thinks that he's full of it, if he thinks that he is full of vanity and ego, then he will not be successful. God will not allow him to be successful. He will find himself down in a pit. But if he realizes that God is the secret of his success, then God will let him rise to power. Later on, 
Yosef is introduced to the king himself, to Pharaoh, and it is amazing how modest he is. And this is in chapter 41. Pharaoh says, I hear you know how to interpret dreams, and he says, Biladai, not me. Elokim ya'anet shalom paro. God will answer your dreams. At each moment he has an opportunity to um, talk about his own prestige, he doesn't say it. He says, time after time, Asher Elokim what God is going to do, he tells to Pharaoh. Moreover, later on, um, he says, Elokim, this is from God. And uh, in fact, he is so overwhelming with his sense, this is God, this is God, that when Pharaoh wants to praise him, what does he say? He says to his servants, Perek Mem Aleph, Pasuk Lamedchet, has you, have you ever seen somebody who the Spirit of God is amongst him? Is inside him? Everything about Joseph standing before Pharaoh, everything about Yosef, even in front of the king himself, he says, no, it's God, no, it's God. Let me, let me move forward because we've been talking about clothing. Um, Notice the way that Yosef is exceptionally passive in this whole process. When Yosef gets out of the prison, what does it say? They rush him out of the bar, out of the pit, the prison. They change his clothing. But later on when he gets put into power, what happens? It says... He takes off his ring. He puts it on Yosef's hand. Yosef doesn't put it on his own hand. He clothes him in special royal clothing. Joseph does not put the clothing on himself. He gets the royal pendant. It is put on by Pharaoh. Joseph does not put it on himself. He makes him ride in his chariot. Yosef is passive. He doesn't revel in the moment. He doesn't say, wow, look how look how prestigious I am. Look how amazing I am. Yosef has learnt his lesson. He has understood that it's not about him. If God wants him to be here, he will be there. And that's maybe why when he does reveal his identity to his brothers later on in a couple of weeks' time in Parashat Vayigash, what does he say to them? He says, don't be angry you sent me here. Who really sent me here? He says, um, he says, God has sent me here. God has sent me before you. Um, this is not you who have sent me to Egypt. It is God who has sent me to Egypt. Um, Everything is God. Yosef understands that God has a plan. It is interesting that there are other dimensions of Yosef coming down to size, not being so full of himself. And let me maybe mention one. <laughs> Yosef in the first chapter, chapter 37, can't help but tell his own dreams. Do you notice how in chapter 39, Yosef begins to listen to other people's dreams. In chapter 40, he listens to the butler and the baker's dreams. In chapter 41, he listens to Pharaoh's dreams. We all know that one of the notions of allowing room for other people is not to be shouting your own voice, but rather to be able to listen to other people's voices. Yosef, in the initial scene, is, is is repeating his own dreams. In later scenes, we see him listening to other people's dreams. What I'm trying to describe is that uh, the story of Eshet Potiphar, of course, 
tells us what an amazing person um, Yosef is in terms of his sexual ethics, in terms of his high religious standards. But beyond that, we're actually being described the amazing ups and downs of Yosef, and really uh, Yosef being tested in one of his most important midot, one of the areas in which he suffers weakness and temptation, and that is in the area of ego and vanity. Because Yosef is so good, because he is so attractive, because he is so charismatic, because he is so capable, he has a problem that um, he might decide to present himself as the centre of everything, as the master of the universe himself, as the person who can control people's destinies and fates. Uh, after all, he is going to lead the economy of one of the superpowers of the age. Um, and of course, it is God who makes Yosef, throws him down from the highest positions down into the pit time and time again. The story of of uh, Eshet Potiphar is the way that everything can change overnight. That the yad, um, which indicates success, can turn into the yad, which indicates accusation. The bayit, which is the place where you feel um, prestige and control, can become an alien environment, an environment of accusation, environment where you are going to be falsely accused. And um, and that is indeed what happens with Yosef, because Yosef, after he rises to power in Potiphar's house, seems to indicate, seems to take on a certain sense of pride. It is true that the Pesukim and the Peshat doesn't say that he does have that pride. Rashi draws it out. And even if he didn't have, maybe God is showing him time after time, you are in my hands. Your destiny will not be the destiny which you carve out for yourself, but it will be what I show you. Whatever I make of you, that is what you will be. And in that regard, what we see is a transformation of Yosef, a development of Yosef, a education of Yosef, a learning process that he has to undergo so that Yosef will indeed be Yosef Atzadik. Not only Yosef Atzadik because he knows how to resist the temptations from outside, but he also knows how to resist the temptations from within. The temptation to see himself as proud, as puffed up, as egotistical and full of himself. He has to understand that Eta Elohim that it is God who is in control. Um, only what Hashem does, when Hashem wants him to, he will be Matzliach. And in that we have the real making of, of a tzaddik. We have a making of a important biblical figure who can teach us a great deal for our own lives and for our own age. Thank you very much.